0: Amen. Would you take your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 14 and beginning with verse number 15. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse number 15. Just for a few moments, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus, and we're going to see how this relates to our life today. And so let's give our undivided attention to the Word of God. It's easy to get distracted, but let's remember that there are people sitting behind you and beside you, and so let's give our full attention to the Word of God. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse number 15 through verse number 24. Let's look at the Word of the Lord today. Verse number 15, Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Now when of... The Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he said to him, A certain man gave a supper and invited many, and sent out his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready." But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. Look at verse 18. But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. The first one said, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to let me be excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to excuse me. Still another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Verse 21, so that the servant came and reported these things to the master. And the master of the house, beginning angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and to the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be full. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Look at verse number 18. But they with all in one accord begin to make excuses. They begin to make excuses. Just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought no more excuses. No more excuses. Would you say that with me this morning? No more. Say it again. Say it really loud. No more excuses. Father, add the blessing to the preaching of the word. I pray that your word would go forth in power, your word would go forth in boldness, and that everything that is said and everything that is done may bring you the glory in Jesus name and everyone said a great big no more excuses can you believe that we are in a new year 2021 it's hard to believe how fast time really goes moment after moment Year after year, month after month, it seems like time is so fast. It's a new year. And with a new year, it's kind of like a clean slate, isn't it? A new year is a clean slate. It's a year that we forget about our struggles and our challenges from previous years And we go into a new year optimistic about what God wants to do in us and through us and in us as a church. Every year it's very common for people to set new goals, isn't it? Every year we have new motto statements. We have new commitment to ourselves. We get gym memberships. (laughs) We have new resolutions. When I was growing up in church every year, the pastor would always have a new motto statement for the year. Let me just share some of them with you. 2008, it's going to be great. 2009, all is fine. 2010, try not to sin. (laughs) 2011, the year of heaven. 2020, the year of vision. Have you ever thought about 2020, the year of vision? Truly, our eyes were open to things that we never thought we would ever see or experienced. I think that 2020, although it had some great challenges, I think it was good for us. It was good for us to get to know each other. It was good to us to grow. Sometimes we wasn't able to come together and meet together. It forced us to have the responsibility for our own spiritual growth and development. There were some good things that we can learn as a church and even as individuals. But you know and I know that as as we start a new year, we get stressed, don't we? We get busy in the new year. And as a result of us getting stressed and busy with family and friends and jobs and uh, responsibilities, we become so stressed and so busy, we start to come up with excuses of why we can't finish what we started. And every year it seems like we get more discouraged. We get more discouraged because we find ourselves in a cycle of excuses. We become disheartened because another year had passed and we talk to ourselves. Only if I should have done that or I should have stayed with it, I would have been finished by now. We find ourselves in a cycle of excuses. And I have learned one thing, church. And I've learned this, that if you're going to do anything worthwhile in your life, you're going to have to drop the excuses, and you're going to have to learn to be consistent and persistent in your goals. You will never, ever make progress in your life if you continue to make excuses. If you make excuses, you will never make progress. You see, it's not intention that gets things done. It's direction and action that gets things done Benjamin Franklin once said it like this and I quote he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else you see you have a decision to make are you going to be a person of excuses or are you going to be a person of action it's really left up to you God is merciful and God is sovereign but he has given you the responsibility to live your life decisions determine destiny If you don't like your life today, it's nobody's fault, but your own, because you are a sum total of all the decisions that you have ever made in life. You can do the blame game and we can blame it on everyone else. But when the rubber meets the road, it really is left up to you. You are a sum total of all the decisions that you have ever made in your life. And sometimes if we're not careful, we will blame it on other things instead of taking responsibility you see anytime jesus healed somebody in the new testament he gave them a responsibility he told the man that had a withered hand he told them he told him to stretch out the hand jesus didn't automatically heal the man he gave the man a prescription and the prescription was called responsibility The woman who had an issue of blood, who could barely walk and function, she did something because she realized she had a responsibility. She pressed through the crowd. The two blind men that Jesus healed, you see, they cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on me. They had a responsibility. They cried out. Even though they couldn't walk, they didn't know where they were going, they couldn't see, they used something, they used their voice, something that they could use to get the master's attention. They understood responsibility. And if you're sitting in this church waiting for God to do the supernatural and waiting for God to do something in your life and waiting for this and waiting for that, you're going to wait a long time because God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you to take action. And when you take action, then God will fulfill the promises that was destined for you. But there is a part for you to play. If you want more of God, then you've got to have action. You've got to have responsibility. If you want to be more like Jesus, got to t- you, it's just not going to happen just because you come to church. If you want a better marriage, it's just not going to happen just because you read a book once in a while and have a desire for a better marriage. It's not going to happen. If you want to memorize scripture, it's not going to happen just because you want it to happen. You've got to take action. You've got to make progress. You see, life is hard. And we know that. Life is unfair. All of us can testify that life is unfair. But if you're waiting for things to be perfect or you're waiting for things uh, to be perfect or the perfect situation in which you to start things, it will never happen. If you're even waiting to feel like it, that will never happen because I've learned one thing I don't feel like doing most of the things that I do. I don't feel like it. If you're waiting to feel like it, it will never happen. I've learned one thing in life is that you've got to you've got to you got to act yourself into the feeling. You see, sometimes you just got to do it, whether you feel like it or not. You got to act yourself into the feeling. And have you ever really thought about how ridiculous our excuses truly are? If you really would be honest with yourself, listen to me, church. If you really be honest with yourself, the most, the most excuses that you come up with are really ridiculous, if you really think about it. They're ridiculous excuses, and really what we're trying to do, we're trying to justify and rationalize things that we don't really want to do, and really it's ridiculous. The excuses that we come up with is really ridiculous, and all it is is us just trying to rationalize and justify things that we really don't want to do. Why do we make excuses? Well, I believe there are several reasons why we make excuses very quickly. Number one, we make excuses because we like to do the blame game. You see, the blame game started at the Garden of Eden. Adam blames the woman and the woman blames the serpent. So we we don't want to take responsibility. We want to get out of the trouble. And so it's easy to blame someone else and make excuses. That's an old thing that's been happened since the beginning of time. The blame game. That's why we make excuses. We make excuses because we deny that there is a problem. We say to ourselves, it's not that bad, or I'll do it on Monday, or I'll do it next week, or I'll do it when they get older. We always make excuses. We want to deny the severity of the problem that's before us. Or we avoid things. We say it's not my responsibility. We want to get out of the responsibility because maybe we don't understand it, or maybe it's too hard. But we like to avoid things and make up excuses why we don't want to do it. And simply, sometimes we make excuses because we're just undisciplined. We just don't want to do it. We just don't feel like doing it. You see, the scripture is full of people who made excuses. I love the book of Proverbs as a book of wisdom. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter number 30 and verse number 12, and I quote, There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes yet it is not washed from its filthiness do you see you see the excuse here the excuse is i'm avoiding i'm blaming it it's not my problem i'm pure in my own eyes sometimes we don't even see the excuses that we make because we're looking out of our own lens We look out of uh, the lens of brokenness and insecurity. and, And sometimes we don't even realize the state of our brokenness. We don't even realize the state of our insecurity. We don't even realize how broken we really are because we're looking through the lens of our brokenness and our hurt and our insecurity. There is a generation that thinks it's pure in its own eyes, but really we're filthy. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 20, or excuse me, chapter number 30 and verse number 20, I love what Solomon said here. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. You see the excuse that she's making? She's making an excuse. There's nothing wrong. This is the excuse of denial. She is denying that there is actually a problem. I'm not an adulterous woman. Everything's okay. She's denying that there is a problem. You see, I can go throughout Scripture and tell you one excuse right after another, but if we're going to start this new year off right, then one of the things we've got to realize, we've got to drop the excuses. Stop the excuses. Stop saying that you can't come to church and stop saying that you can't be more faithful and stop saying that you can't serve and stop say, making all these excuses because you're going to be the same person that you are now next year if you don't drop the excuses. Just drop the excuses. And really, if you really think about it, it's not a legitimate reason. There's a difference between a legitimate reason based upon factual evidence that causes you that makes you and causes you that you can't do something, than at a reason, which is just an excuse just to get out of it. You see, the devil is the master excuser, isn't he? The Bible says the, the devil is the accuser. He's the accuser. Of the brethren Diablos to throw he throws things at your mind that's what the devil does isn't it Diablos to throw he throws things at your mind all the time he throws thoughts at your mind he throws accusations at your mind he throws at your mind that you're no good and you're no worthy and nobody cares about you and you're not loved those thoughts are not from God it's the devil the enemy throws things at your mind and you've got to learn to throw something back at the devil You've got to learn to throw the word back at the devil. Matthew chapter number 4, when the enemy came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, make these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down off of this pinnacle. You see, every time the enemy threw an accusation to the Lord, the Lord threw back the word. It is written. You see, you've got to drop the excuses. If you're going to make progress in your life, either spiritually or physically or whatever area of your life that you're struggling, you've got to drop the excuses. Even when it comes to our faith, we have excuses, isn't it? I don't read my Bible because I don't understand it. That's not a reason. That's an excuse. I can't make it to church because my husband isn't going. That's an excuse. I can't pray like the pastor prays. That's an excuse. I can't serve because I have a job. I can't tithe because I don't make enough money. I don't invite friends to church because they might be offended. That's an excuse. The devil is the master excuser. He's the extremist. The devil will tell you, you're not that bad. Everybody does it. You can't get right with God right now. You better wait later. When you can clean up some things, that's what the devil does. He gives you excuses. People will freak out if they know that you're a Jesus freak. Your childhood was really rough, so you're excused in acting that way. You see, the devil will throw things at your mind over and over. And what happens is that you'll start believing the excuses. And number two, you'll start to own the excuse. And if anybody disagrees with your excuse, you are highly offended. you're highly offended if they don't agree with your excuses you see 2021 if it's going to be different my friends then you're going to have to stop making the excuses and accept the responsibilities that's accept the responsibility for the things that you can change in your life and start making baby steps it's not about making big steps it's about the direction it's not about pace It's about the direction in which you are going you're not called to make big steps i'm asking you to make baby steps in the right direction intention intention direction not intention determines the course you can have good intentions the graveyard out here has a lot of people who had good intentions a lot of people went to their grave they should have wrote books and they should have wrote sermons that they should have done great exploits but they didn't because they made excuses you can have all kinds of intentions in the world. But it's not the intentions that makes progress. It's direction that makes progress. One of the famous stories of the Bible of a man who made excuses was Moses. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 10, the Bible called Moses, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So the Lord said to Moses, I have called you to bring my people out of Egypt, out of bondage. God anointed and appointed a man by the name of Moses to lead a group of people out of bondage. But what did, he, what did Moses do? Moses gave excuses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, he made excuses. God said, I've chosen you, Moses, but Moses made an excuse. The Bible says in verse number 11, he says, I'm not able to. I don't have the talent to do it. Verse 11, I'm not able to do it. Verse chapter number four. Chapter number four, verse number one, he said, they're not going to even believe me. Chapter four, verse number 10, he said, I have a stuttering problem. I'm not a good speaker. Chapter four, verse number 13, he said, Lord, why can't you let somebody else to do it? Over and over, Moses came up with an excuse of why he couldn't do what God called him to do. He said, I have a speech problem. I'm not a good speaker. They won't believe me. Send somebody else. I don't have the talent to do it. Over and over, Moses tried to come up with all the excuses of why God should never call him to do that. And ladies and gentlemen, you're going to come up with excuses. You are going to come up with excuses like I'm not a good speaker. I can never do that. I can never do that. I can never do what that person does. You're not called to be that person. Comparison is a, is, is a component of the enemy. Comparison will stop progress more than anything else. You're not called to compare yourself to anyone or anybody. You are called to follow the principles of scripture and do your best to follow the word of God. You're going to make mistakes. I grant it. You're going to say things you shouldn't say. You're going to do things you shouldn't do. You're going to struggle with the flesh, but that's not an excuse for you to give up on the things of God. It's not an excuse just because you're struggling doesn't mean it is excuse for you not to come to church and be faithful. it's just because you're struggling, we all struggle that's humanity for you we all struggle it's not a legitimate reason to stop with the things of God it's not Moses made an excuse right after excuse he was making excuse I'm not able to do it I don't have the talent they won't believe me I'm not a good speaker Have you ever thought about how many excuses that we make? Listen, my friends, excuses will cost you. It will cost you. You will have a life of mediocrity, a life of defeat, a life where you never fulfill your potential. And actually, some excuses may cost you eternity. Our story this morning illustrates how ridiculous our excuses are. The story from the book of Luke Jesus tells a parable, and in this parable it is illustrated to us how ridiculous our excuses truly are. I want you to listen to me just for a few moments, and I want to recap the story that Jesus tells those who were in the house. I want to recap the parable. In the parable of Luke chapter 14, the Bible says a certain man gave a great supper. So a man gave a great supper. and The Bible says he sent out his servant to invite people to the great supper. The servant went out to invite people to the supper. And guess what happened? Everyone he invited had an excuse of why they couldn't come to the supper. He goes back to the master reports to the master that everybody that they had invited gave an excuse. The Bible says the master got angry and the master told the servant quickly. I want you to go out to the streets. And I want you to bring in the poor and the lame and the blind so the servant went out to the city and he invited all the poor the lame and the blind and the servant came back to report and the servant said this time master I invited everybody he told me to invite but there's still more room in the banquet hall and the master said the master said well I want you to go out again And I want you to go to the highways and hedges and I want you to compel them that my house will be filled. And the master said, the original people that you invited to the supper will not taste of my supper ever. They won't taste it. You see, this is an interesting story. It's a parable, a parable with a spiritual meeting, and just for a few more few, few minutes, for the next ten minutes, I just want to give you a few pointers about how ridiculous our excuses truly are. Now in order for me to do that, you are a Bible student. You're a scholar. You I promote that you should read the Bible I ask you to read it I, I'm promoting you to scriptures you should have read it you should know the scriptures and so since you are a Bible student and you love the word it's important that I give you the right interpretation scripture has one interpretation, but many applications there's many applications to this, but there is only one interpretation of this scripture and I want you to give you the context of what's happening in this scripture the in the context here and i 'm not sure if they can do it for me, but Luke chapter fourteen, I want you to look at the context of what's happening before I tell you what this means Luke chapter fourteen verse number one. I want you to see what's happening before he tells the parable before Jesus tells the parable of the great supper and the excuses that people made look what's happening here the Bible says now it happened as they went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees eat bread on the Sabbath these religious leaders were watching him and what happens and behold there was a certain man who had dropsy and Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath but they kept silent and he took him and healed him and let him go So what's happening here is that Jesus is eating with religious leaders. Now, if you know anything about the scriptures, those religious leaders was Jesus' greatest obstacle. The greatest hindrance to Jesus' ministry was religious leaders. Religious people was the greatest hindrance to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is eating with religious leaders. Now, that's important for you to realize because in ancient Near East, hospitality was a great thing. Hospitality and welcoming people to your house was considered a godly thing. It was a scriptural thing to do. But in the ancient Near East, it was they, they were involved in what we call the shame and honor culture. Who you invited to your table indicated who you approved of. All right. It also indicated social status. So so if you invited if you invited the the political elite and you invited those rich at the table, then that that is sending a message that I want you. I want your benefits so you can receive my benefits. All right. It was the shame and honor culture. The religious leaders would have never invited a sick person to the table. A religious leader would never invite a woman to the table. Do you remember the story of Mary coming in and washing Jesus' feet? at a table, at a banquet, at, at a dinner table? That was unheard of. It's no wonder the religious leaders uh, uh, had their nose up in the air. Why is this woman, who the woman of the world, here at the dinner table washing Jesus' feet? This is unheard of. So you wouldn't invite a woman, you wouldn't invite unclean people, you wouldn't invite diseased people to the table? The religious leaders invited the political elite, those who were rich, those who, had, those who were worth something those who could contribute something, those are the people that you invite at the table. You don't invite somebody to the table that can't contribute anything. That's why in the New Testament, it tells us that when you come to the Lord's table, everybody's welcome to the Lord's table because at the Lord's table, there is no such thing as the social elite. There is no big eyes and little U's at the Lord's table so you wouldn't dare invite somebody to the table and what happened jesus is eating and a sick man is there he shouldn't have been there the religious leaders watched him closely and what does jesus do verse number seven jesus tells another parable he tells another parable he knows that the religious leaders are watching him he knows that they consider that man unclean Jesus also knew that the religious leaders would have never invited a sick man to the table. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And Jesus tells a parable, verse number 12. I want you to look at it. Or verse number 12, yes. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Look at what he says. Jesus says, he also said to them who invited him, He's saying to the religious leaders, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or your brothers or your relatives nor your rich neighbors. Look at verse 13. But when you give a supper, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I know you religious leaders don't want this sick man here, but I want to let you know that in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is open to people who can't repay you back. And isn't that against our philosophy? We give things to people so we can hear a thank you. We do things for people so they can give us back something or so they can pat us on the back. We make excuses. We better not do that outreach because they're going to steal from the system. They go from church to church. No, 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 no. I don't care what they do. I'm doing it because you can never pay me back. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about doing things for people that can never pay you back. Why in the world... Have we set up ourselves as judges and we judge people? Say, we can't do it because you don't go to our church. You know what we're saying? We're saying we're not in the ministry. We're saying we're in business. We don't do things to get people to come to this church. It's wonderful if they do. But we do things because that's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God invites everybody, no matter their social status, to the table, and it invites them whether they can pay you back or whether they don't pay you back. When was the last time you did something for somebody that can't pay you back? The sick man couldn't pay the religious leaders back. The sick man had nothing to contribute. He's sick. Jesus said that's the point. Jesus said the point is, the point is, the kingdom of God is a table spread for for whoever, no matter what their social status is, because there are no prominent seats in the kingdom of God. We are all deemed servants. You see. Now Jesus says, I'm going to tell you another parable. And what is the parable? He tells another parable about a supper. Because why? He is sitting at the table with the religious leaders eating supper. So he tells a parable about a man who has a great feast. He sent his servants out, but everybody made excuses the last seven minutes, I want to remind you of these excuses. The servant went out and said, my master has prepared a great feast. Did you know what the Bible says? The Bible says quickly that there was a great supper and many people were invited and there was lots of room. I love that. I love that. I want you to listen to me one more time. He said, He said in verse number 15, he says, in verse number 16, I want you to see what happens here. He says, there is a great supper. Verse 16, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many people. Do you see that? Many people. Not only was there many people, but the Bible says there was much room. I love that analogy. Great supper, many were invited, and there's lots of room. Can I just stop and preach a little bit? That speaks of salvation this morning. God has a great supper. What does a supper do? A supper feeds you. It meets your needs. Many people are invited and there are lots of room can I tell you something God wants to meet your need and not only does he want to meet your need but he wants to meet your family's need he wants to meet the city of Galena he wants to meet the city of Joplin's needs there are many people that's invited and there's lots of room that's what salvation is about salvation is about your need being met It's about many people being invited. And it tells us that there's always room for someone else. And these people, the servants, went out to invite people to the great supper. And they came back with excuses. Verse number 18. And this was the first excuse. Verse number 18. Luke chapter 14, verse 18. But they all with one accord made excuses. And the first one said, I have bought a piece of ground... I must go and see it. I asked to be excused. I want you to look at the first excuse. The first person said, I can't come to the supper because I have bought a field. I have bought some ground and I need to go and see it. You see how ridiculous this excuse is? No one buys a field without seeing it first. See how lame the excuse is? See how Ridiculous the excuse is. Nobody buys a field without seeing it first. His excuse was lame. It was ridiculous. I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. You don't don't buy a piece of ground and then go see it. You see it before you buy it. What about verse number 19? And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to be excused. It's the same ridiculous excuse. No one buys five pairs of oxen without testing them first. This is listen, five five pairs of yolks of oxen, that's a lot. In other words, this is not a small farm. This guy was had an estate. I mean, this guy had I mean he 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 bought some lots of oxen here. And you don't just go buy lots of oxen and then go see it. You see it and test it first before you buy it. Do you see how ridiculous this excuse is? And another one says, well, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. You see, the supper was in the late afternoon. He could have came to this free banquet. You should honor your spouse with a free banquet. Banquets was common for weddings. Why couldn't he take his wife to a free banquet that's already prepared? It's late afternoon. You have all evening to be with her. It's a lame excuse. Now you say, Pastor, that's a good excuse. But you see, that's the problem with us. We think our excuses are good. Good excuses get us in trouble. There's a difference between a good thing and a God thing. And when you begin to exalt good things in your life, it becomes an idol. And if anybody comes against your idols, you become offended because you think your idols are good. And that's the tragedy of the kingdom of God. Listen to Pastor Josh. That's the tragedy of the kingdom of God. These three excuses represent the great rival against the kingdom of God. These three excuses are the three excuses that all of us find ourselves in a cycle. Work, property, and family. Let me just break it down. Possessions, your profession, excuse me, your profession, your material things, and relationships These three excuses represent those three things. It it represents relationships, which is your family. It represents your profession, which is your work. And it represents material things, which is your property. These three things... Are the greatest rivals to the kingdom of God. And many people will miss out in the kingdom of God because they're too attached to their job. And they're too attached to their material possessions. And they're too attached to their family. Their love and affection of the family is more important than a relationship with God. In the end, In the end, the scripture is telling us it is sheer folly to miss a great supper over work and property and family because the kingdom of God is an eternal bliss that will outweigh anything that could be found in your work, in your property, and your family. It's sheer folly to miss out. And how many times do we make excuses, I can't because I got an engagement with the family. I can't. Because I work. I can't because I got of possessions. These three things is the great rival against the kingdom of God. It's hard. That's why Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Because my message divides families. That's why it's hard to take. Because Jesus said, My message is a sword. It hurts, it divides families. Jesus said, if you're going to love me, you got to love me more than your houses and your cars and your spouses and your children. Your love for me has to be so great that the love for everybody else is considered hatred. That's a hard message to take. And we don't like to hear that message, but it is the gospel. It's the gospel. Is Jesus against work? No. Is he against property? No. Is he against family? Of course not. The story demonstrates to us the missed priorities. It's it's in the wrong place. He's not against family and property and homes and houses. He's not against your work. You've got to work. It's missed placed priorities. It's missed placed love. The cycle of your life is out of whack. You have placed things above the kingdom of God, and when you place things above the kingdom of God, things will never work out for you. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. See? He's not against them. He's against you placing them as idols and making them a priority above spiritual matters. You see, Luke chapter 9, Jesus reiterates the same principle. Luke chapter 9, Jesus reiterates the same principle. Verse number 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. If they could find that for me, that would be great. And I'm going to close with this scripture. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened. Luke nine fifty-seven. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord... I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said foxes have holes and birds have the air and they have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head then he said to another follow me but he said Lord let me first go and bury my father and Jesus said let the dead bear their dead but you should go and preach the kingdom of God and another one said Lord I will follow you but first let me go bid farewell to my house see possessions Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Because what is the greatest rival to the kingdom of God? Your profession, material possessions, relationships. Do you think it's easy for Jenny and Kelly to leave back all their family and go across the world and preach the kingdom of God? That's not a calling for all of us to do. But do you see the example that's set before us? Sometimes the kingdom of God demands that we go. It's not for all of us to follow. But sometimes the kingdom of God demands that we lay it all down. And we go. You see... Isn't it interesting in verse number 21, Luke chapter 14 and verse number 21. Luke 14, what did the servant say? Verse number 21, so the servant came and reported these things. Luke 14, 21, the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Now I want you to see this. Do you see what he says in verse 21? He says, I want you to go out to the streets and the lanes of the city, bring in the poor, the crippled, and the lame that's verse 21 now I want you to look at verse number 23 then the master said to the servant go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come into my house that my house will be filled do you see the correspondence between verse 21 and 23 verse number 21 the master said to the servant I want you to go to the town and I want you to go to the streets and the lanes Verse 23, I want you to go to highways and hedges. In other words, I want you to first, I want you to go to the town. What's in a town? Streets? Then I want you to go to the highways and hedges, which is outside of the town. In other words, the kingdom of God is not only for people in here, within the city, those in here that's crippled and blind and lame spiritually, but the kingdom of God is for you and I to go outside to the highways and the hedges and compel them also to come to the house of God. So you know what that means? Do you know what that tells me? That means we're all jacked up. That means we're all broken. Everybody in here is crippled, bl- lame, and blind, and everybody out there is crippled, lame, and blind. How, how Can I hear an amen? The blind is telling the blind where the food's at. Can I hear an amen? We're all a fellowship of sinners before we're a fellowship of saints. Compel them. The Greek word means get them by the hand and bring them in. That my house may be filled. The kingdom of God wasn't just for, in context, wasn't just for the Jewish people who rejected God's salvation offer. But now Jesus is saying the great supper is now offered to the Gentiles It's offered to those outside of the covenant of Abraham. It's offered to all of us. The lame, the blind, the crippled. All of us are welcome to the table. All of us are welcome into the kingdom of God. And he says, and the ones who originally were invited won't taste it. Those Jews, those religious leaders won't be able to taste the supper because they thought what was important was to have the prominent elite at the table He says, but I tell you, the kingdom of God is now open to all of us. We're all welcome to come to the table. Somebody once said we can have revival if all the sleepy folk would wake up, if all the lukewarm folk would fire up, if all the dishonest folk would confess up, if all the depressed folk would look up, if all the discouraged folk would cheer up, if all the gossipers would shut up and the dry bones shake up and church members pray up and all the thieves pay up, we would have revival in 2021. How many will say Pastor Josh I want to be the one that goes not only to the lanes and the streets but I want to go to the highways and hedges and compel them to come to the house of God the five grunts and three amens I'll take it I said how many would say I want to be that person that comes to the highways and hedges and compels them to come to the house of God hallelujah Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. Oh, we give you glory today. Thank you that you're good and you're gracious and you're loving today. Thank you, Father. We drop our excuses today. Lord, we make a decision that we're going to follow you with everything that we have. Hallelujah.